You're listening to is Super Yacht Radio. And welcome to Super Yacht Radio. It is Friday. It is 1700 CET. And 1100 on the East Coast of America, which means it is USSA update time. Uh, and if you're not dyslexic, that would be update USSA time with Kitty McGowan and guests. <laughs> Beautiful Kitty. Well, how are hello. You? Happy Friday. Very happy Friday. Uh, last time we spoke, you were up, uh, up in Connecticut area i was i was at an actual boat show <laughs> i know we did the show live from bridgeport last friday um with the steel point yacht and charter show in bridge in lovely bridgeport connecticut as uh, i got called in to be the mc for the show after we chatted because their mc wasn't able to make it and uh as in my mind it's like Normally, I would be in Monaco, but now I'm in the raging metropolis yeah. of Bridgeport, Connecticut. <laughs> My, how the world has changed in, in just a few short months. Oh, yeah. But, but no, I had that of, you know, when, when Instagram and stuff gives you your this memories. time last year, and this time last year, mm. you know, was pretty much you and me meeting up together in, in Monaco yeah. along with, you know, so many other industry friends. So it... Um, yeah. definitely is a different September for many, many people in the industry. I, I did notice a tear coming to her eye. I wasn't quite sure. I thought maybe I hadn't done the laundry, but I realized it was her Instagram feed going, this time last year you were with Kitty. I know. I was so sad. I saw the pictures yeah. and I was like, oh, it was well, such a great show. But, but I tell you, what a blessing that we, that we were able to do pull off that show in Connecticut. Um, it was a raging success um, by every account. Um, we were able to do it safely by protocol. Um, the, the guests were happy and contented and they weren't nervous to be out. It was, um, we figure over the course of the weekend, we had nearly you know 5,000 people um, for the four-day show, so it was a, a bigger crowd than we had in June, and uh, everything from classic cars and boats to 150 feet, helicopters, seaplanes, um, it was truly a, a great and fantastic music uh, throughout the whole weekend. We even had a Nash Nashville recording star, Sierra Ray, who came and performed with us on Friday night. Um, I mean, it was just a really great weekend of, of really incredible business. And um, we had the guys from Skytron there that are the first FDA approved yeah. um, UVC light. Mm -hmm. So we were able to even enhance the COVID you know, uh, protocols that we put in place for the show. So it was, just, it was just a great experience. It was great to feel a little normal, you mm -hmm. know, and to have people around and people in front of you and... You know, I got to go for a boat ride at a boat show, which think about this. How many times have you ever been a boat show that you go on a boat ride? It just doesn't happen. And so we got to go out on Kingfisher. You got to meet with Deirdre um, mm -hmm. from the Kingfisher, that lovely, classically restored Huckins. And uh, it was just a great weekend. And it was nice to make some new friends and connect with some old friends and get out of Fort Lauderdale. So <laughs> it was great. Well, speaking of new friends, you've brought a new friend to the station. I have. Well, he's not a new friend. I'm, I've been very blessed to have Steve in my life for many years at this point, but uh, he's new to the show with us. And Steve Ryder is the manager of product development for Bellingham Marine um, in the Southeast Division based out of Jacksonville, Florida. Um, but you're not in Jacksonville. You're over in Steenhatchee right now, right? Correct. And uh, we get a, somebody gets surprised if they can tell me where, if they can show me where Steenhatchee is, because it's always it's one just of those lost Kentucky, fishing villages on the, <laughs> on the well, west Steen, coast of Florida. Steenhatchee's on the west coast of Florida, and one of the things that they're really well known for on the west coast in Steenhatchee, and it's on my bucket list, Steve, I'm going to do it next year, <laughs> is to go scalloping. And so that they, they, they have this, this whole big industry around, 
like scalloping. Scalloping so, a scal- verb? Scalloping is in going fishing for scallops, I presume. Going fishing for scallops. This is like this, this is what I love about the Americans. <laughs> so you have fish and you have fishing. You have clams and you have <sighs> I'm going clamming. Okay. Justify it whichever way you going want. Going scalloping. So come on now, work with me, but but Steen has you in a lovely part of Florida on the West Coast, just north of Tampa area. Mm-hmm. And it's just spectacular. Right. There's some fantastic rivers there. And uh, But uh, I'm happy he was able to join me um, on the show today uh, because if you're not aware of Bellingham Marine, um, they are truly one of the leaders in building and developing projects, marina projects, uh, all over the world. Well, I, I, I just recently discovered, Kitty, that they are in absolutely every single country in the world, including landlocked countries, with the exclusion of Ireland. <laughs> Which shocked. Well I, well, I think Steve will sign up to take that division, right, Steve? We've spoken. <laughs> Correct. Be happy to, happy to set up the office. So, Steve, why don't you just start off with just a little bit of an intro about the, the structure of Bellingham and kind of what sets you apart, and then we'll talk about why we're here today. Okay. Well, thank you very much for inviting me on the show, and I hope I have a good connection because Steenetchy is a little remote town, and our internet service isn't fantastic. But uh, I'm Steve Ryder. I'm uh, the senior manager of project development for Bellingham Marine in our southeast division. Bellingham Marine. Quick history, we've been in business since 1955. We have over 65 million square feet of our concrete floating docks installed all around the world. In uh, the U.S., we have five operating uh, production uh, facilities uh, around the world. Uh, our uh, main offices for um, the Pacific, far, uh, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, Asian market, uh, Mediterranean market is located in Melbourne. Uh, we have a plant in, uh, Sid- in uh, Brisbane, another division in New-, New Zealand, operating division presently in Cyprus uh, that we're finishing up the, the Via Napa uh, facility there in Cyprus. Uh, we have licensees in uh, UAE, uh, China, and Japan, as well as Spain. We're kind of happy to say we've got docks in just about every continent. We've got in every continent in the world except Antarctica, and we're working on that. But uh, uh, we manufacture. Uh, we are a design-build general contractor in, in uh, all of our uh, divisions. We also manufacture all of our concrete floating docks. Uh, as well as we have timber frame and, and aluminum frame uh, systems uh, that we have here in the U.S. But we're best known for our concrete floating dock systems that are in just about every major uh, marketplace uh, in the world. Uh, we feel as though we specialize in the super yacht uh, market. Uh, we have... Uh, tried to uh, learn from uh, captains and developers and crews, et cetera, as to what the needs are from a berthing standpoint for the super yacht and uh, guests that are arriving uh, to, to use it, use the boats and vessels and be able to provide the type of uh, berthing accommodations that our industry needs uh, to uh, continue to grow. Our big focus, uh, obviously, in my particular part of the world is uh, a lot of projects that you probably have visited in South Florida, from Rybovich to Bahia Mar, uh, in the Caribbean, Albany Marina, and uh, New Providence, Chub Cay, uh, and the Berries, uh, like I said, in uh, international, we have uh, Port Forum uh, Marina in Barcelona. Uh, we have uh, a number of super yacht facilities in Australia uh, and New Zealand. And we're just finishing up the Avia Napa uh, 
project in, in Cyprus, which is a very exciting project uh, that we've been working on for about two years now. It's been under construction since about two, 2016. So we feel as um, though we have a, 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 a pretty well-established reputation in the industry, especially for uh, the super yacht industry, the industry is continuing to grow. We're under construction on two new facilities uh, in the uh, in the U.S. in the Fort Lauderdale and Palm Beach area. The we're presently under construction uh, for the new town of Palm Beach uh, Municipal Marina, which will be coming online uh, September 2021. And boy, did and, that uh, need that! They needed you so yeah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, in the last year, we finished uh, a complete rehab upgrade for Lauderdale Marine Center. And for those uh, of you that, yeah, for those of you that don't know Lauderdale Marine Center, some of the listeners in Fort Lauderdale, they're one of the largest, if not the largest, repair facility and and dock storage area that just recently opened a restaurant there, um, right there on the dock. So it has, like, in my mind, one of the best views in town and great food. And I know that Steve, that you worked real hard to, to get those docks done quickly so they could get that going here what in the, right here on Marina Mile. Borderdale Marine Center. Ah, okay. Yeah. So Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Well, I, I, I must admit Marina, I, I know as much as the average person that to walk around, but if we're to get down to brass tacks, um, I mean, you guys have had not only 70-odd years, close on 70 years of experience. 75. Which must be very interesting to go back historically, you know, to 65. look at how you've kind of grown and developed and, and how the world has grown. I mean, even from what I've seen in the past 15, 20 years, the expansion of marinas around the world has been huge. But you guys come in with... I mean, do you go right from the start of here's the the plot of land we have and, and the area of water we have. We think this would be a good spot for a marina. What do we need? And you do everything from measuring the depth of water to what kind of boats do you want to come in to what facilities and, and buildings do you have on land? Kind of well, what's your scope? What's the, the scope? Well, and it also does di differ because between marinas down here in the southern part of the states versus the northern part of the states where you have a tidal surge difference down here of about three feet. And then you go somewhere up in Maine, Boston, you know, in the far north where it could be 12 to 18 feet. Yeah. So that can change a lot of your of your. Well, we have that. So we're living across from. Um, we're living on a beach, and across from us is a small little um, harbor, mainly for fishing boats. But uh, when the tide goes out, literally, it, it it's drained of water, and so you have. Just to sit on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, we do. We're dealing with a lot of projects in Alaska, and we deal with a lot of projects in Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. Well, you'll have a 30-foot tide swing uh, in particular areas. And um, so, but as far as to, to, to try to address your question, essentially, we can uh, provide services from the initial idea of a marina facility at a particular location through the construction. Typically, how we do that is with working with the owners, obviously, who own the property and try to see what their vision is for the, the overall development of the project. We then put together a team from local um, consultants, primarily for the regulatory side of it. Um, we have all of the, the, if you want to call it brick and mortar engineering as part of our package that uh, tells us how big the uh, the docks need to be, how much, how many piling, what kind of anchoring system is needed, utilities, et cetera, kind of the infrastructure stuff we have within the house. But when it comes to all the variety of different locations around the world, you need to work with 
um, uh, local consultants that are, are accustomed to dealing with the local jurisdictions, uh, regulate, regulatory aspects, and those are, are, um, are very important in the aspect of putting together uh, an overall facility. Um, it's, it's one thing to uh, be able to come in and say, I can provide you a complete package, which we can, but we are going to use local uh, expertise for a marina in Ireland versus a marina in Australia versus one in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. And we've got to put together a team of professionals that, that do that. We have that knowledge and we have that contact base to be able to, to provide a, a client uh, from essentially the seawall out and coordinate with what they're doing on shore. What's been your most difficult project to date? If I, you know, what's the first one that jumps to mind when you go like, wow, that was, that was a tough one? Well, um, I should say challenge. You, but then he'd have to kill you, Dave. <laughs> exactly. They've all had unique, um, unique requirements. Um, primarily, probably the more challenging of the projects are when we are working uh, in the islands, as far as here in the Caribbean. Because generally, in most cases, there is no uh, real uh, infrastructure, shoreside locations where we can um, coordinate materials uh so everything typically comes down on a barge goes off a barge into the water is logistically everything is done from a waterside development standpoint and you're talking about the islands the the, as as kitty was saying in the beginning we're, we're kind of heading into hurricane season and climatically we've seen more severe hurricanes more uh more intense and and uh, more numbers of hurricanes as well. Uh, how does this affect you? I mean, on one side, it's, it's probably good for business, but on the other side, you know, do you, how, how do you address that kind of situation? Because it's not a case of just going into clear water and, and doing a marina. There's debris, there's broken stuff, so there's clearing of stuff, there's a lot of hazards and dangers. Uh, talk to us about about post-hurricane mop-up. Well, and that's one of the reasons, before I get Steve to answer, that I wanted him here because, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's it's so funny how we can become very myopic and just looking at our own country's issues because God knows we have them, you know. You know, we have fires raging in the California area, and we've been, like, we're already into the Greek alphabet in the hurricane season, in that we've already gone through A through Z. So it's been not just an active hurricane season, it's been a crazily active hurricane season. And one of the reasons I wanted Steve to come on today, who, by the way, I wanted to thank again, he was one, he served on the U.S. Super Yacht Association's board for many years and has been a tremendous contributor for, uh, you know, keeping us involved in the manufacturing process here. But um, we, you know, the, the, the Gulf Coast has gotten schwacked with hurricanes this year. And I mean, and actually the past few years and the, the, the cleanup and renovation part is the, is the part that I really wanted to kind of talk about. And in addition to, you know, Marina's trying to add space and things so we could accommodate more boats here. But Steve is, I know you guys are right in the process right now of doing some of that big cleanup up there in the Gulf Coast. Correct. I've been on, uh, on the road all week this week doing hurricane assessment damage reports for the facilities uh, that are in the uh, central Gulf. To address the question of climate change and, and what we see as far as from the, uh, obviously, hurricanes uh, in our marketplace, cyclones, what we see in uh, the South Pacific, uh, Pacific regions, with as far as with the development of facilities and especially super yacht facilities, it's a very coordinated development agreement and plan with the ownership to develop a facility that will be uh, as best we can do storm resistant to a particular criteria that, that uh, 
we would see common in the area. There's no product, there's no facility that is going to be hurricane or cyclone proof. You know, environmental mother nature, is, as we know in the, the boating industry, you know, we, we can never predict, you know, what we think would be the worst thing that could happen because something else beyond that will occur. What we see, though, as far as the best plans, and it's also obviously from a, from a, uh, from a vessel operation and management standpoint, is that what we've seen more in the last 15 years are better planning from both the captains and crews of super yachts to the marina facilities themselves giving adequate warnings to uh, users of the facility of impending storms. We have much better forecasting to be able to uh, get a better idea of where we would have landfall for uh, most of these uh, uh, events, but still there's the random chance. And this recent Hurricane Sally, which, uh, which we're doing the re repair estimates on now, is a great example of it. Uh, when the storm was coming in, it was uh, predicted to go in just to the east of, of New Orleans, basically kind of between New Orleans and Biloxi, Mississippi. At kind of the last minute, it took about a one to two degree turn to the right, uh, ended up going into just to the east of Mobile, which is about a hundred Alabama, 150 mile. Yeah, Alabama. Uh, it's basically the Alabama-Florida uh, border. Landfall was around near Orange Beach, Alabama. Uh, but what happened is it ended up catching a lot of people off guard. I saw damage to uh, some uh, 25 to 30 meter type boats that in normal process would be gone uh, well before, you know, a storm was impending in that area, but it was pretty detailed that it was going to go in, you know, 150 miles to the west. It didn't do that. And so boats got, got trapped in, uh, in, in areas that uh, normally would be uh, unoccupied. So what we've learned from this is to build better product, higher strength to deal with the different climatic changes we have, but also really work on marina management and, and vessel management as to what we do 72 hours out from a storm, 96 hours out from a storm, 24 hours up, up before a storm, and then most importantly, what you do after the storm. What do we do as far as detailing damage uh, and then try to get emergency facilities in, in operation as quick as possible. Well, what can you do from the marina perspective? Uh, I mean, I know you've got floating docks. Is there anything you can physically do that will make them more resilient to the hurricane in those 72 hours leading up to it? Or, or is it a case of moving boats out or what? Generally speaking, every site is obviously extremely different. So the criteria for let's say a Bahia Mar, I think that would be a facility people would be, uh, uh, have seen before. It's in a relatively protected location versus say a marina uh, in the islands that has exposure uh, uh, just because it's part of a, an, an island chain. It's not in a protected basin. The operational requirements for that, those two facilities are much different because of the natural protected area that they have. From a design standpoint, a brick and mortar standpoint, from my side of the fence, we look at building docks that are heavier duty uh, as far as the connection points, the structural uh, system within the docks themselves is much greater in one project versus another. The piling or anchoring systems are much heavier in the more exposed versus a more less protect or better protected area. Those are the kind of engineering sides of it that go into it. Whether the marina is going to be occupied during a particular type of, of event uh, or unoccupied during a particular event. 
a lot of our criteria that we build to in our area generally are built around a category one, category two type occupied uh, marina and really uh, category three and above is uh, from a design standpoint is unoccupied. With the super yacht world, it's actually kind of a blessing because most of the captains and crews as we see storms approaching are evacuating um, either from insurance reasons or just common sense. They have the ability to be able to cruise out of an area versus somebody who's got a 10-meter sailboat. They can't exactly decide to go 300 miles in the, the opposite direction of where a storm's going, so they've got to kind of stay there. Crew management, as we see from the super yacht side of it, actually helps in a way with a lot of Marines because they evacuate. They're gone, so we don't have to worry about uh, those. The unique-type projects are shipyards, say like a Rybovich or LMC or Lauderdale Marine Center, where you can have boats that are under repair and they can't move. So now we have to develop the marina facility for those vessels being in the marina during the particular storm event. And even some of those marinas up the river have kind of created safe haven and have part of their hurricane plans dockage, you know, like reservations that in the event of a hurricane that they have a slip up the river, which is typically considered more protected because up the new river system in in South Florida, um, here in Fort Lauderdale is, you know, miles away from the ocean where you get typically the biggest surge in, in in the event of a storm. And so a lot of them will go like up to Rossioli Yachting Center or Bradford Marine, and they have those standing reservations, if you will. But but typically a lot of the insurance companies don't allow yachts to stay over a certain size in the South Florida area during hurricane season because of that. So, I mean, there's, I mean, like just as an example, this year in the 2020 season, uh, we had the earliest form storm ever in May uh, before the actual beginning of season. We've had 25 tropical or subtropical cyclones, 23 named storms, eight hurricanes, and two of them major hurricanes. And this, this season goes until the end of November. So, but typically September is like the, the, the highlight part of the season. And because of COVID, we ended up with a lot of vessels staying in the South Florida market because there really wasn't anywhere for them to go. So it's, we're lucky that so far here in South Florida, we've been spared a lot of that. And then you look at the panhandle of Florida and, and the coast of Southern Alabama, and we have a lot of members up that way where, I mean, you have boats that are, you know, 30 feet inland because of tidal surge and because of winds. And, and it's a, uh, it can be quite destructive, but like having, as Steve is saying, now that it's a it's a big process to clean it up and get it restructured and re-engineered, and hopefully able to uh, make it stronger and better. But I mean, like the storms that came across here was a Category Three. There's nothing you can build in a floating dock system that's going to withstand, you know, 150 mile an hour winds, 100 plus mile an hour winds. And, and some of those storms just sat there and churned for days. So right, like, so like, the ones in, like the ones in the Bahamas last year that, that took out Abaco and took out a lot of those islands in the northern part of the Bahamas. So um, the design and, and construction and engineering, and that's to me where I think Bellingham and, and Steve and his team are so great is that they do take into account a lot of the different aspects of – uh, preparing for those types of emergencies as they come along. Can I uh, just an, another big threat that we've read about, uh, particularly in the U.S., but you know around the world is uh, about rising sea levels. And it was one of the interesting points that Bobby, who runs the Bridgeport Harbor Marina, made when yes. they were putting their long-term construction plans in. They, I, I can't remember how many feet they raised up the whole marina, 
but it was a considerable amount. Is it, Yeah, it was over five feet that they yeah, raised. Yeah, I, I was thinking somewhere around there. So uh, is this also something that you have to take more and more into consideration, Steve, depending on, you know, obviously there are going to be certain places that are going to be more susceptible, but it's sort of a... I would think a, a global threat in many, many places now as well. Or, or being floating docks, so they not just rise to the exactly. Ocean. They just come up. Of course, they could be taller than the seawall at some point. <laughs> right, and that's and that's actually it's a very good question. One of the things that we look at is from a company standpoint is what effect obviously we is going to affect our business from a, uh, from a, from a nature standpoint. Uh, we've been involved in different studies and, 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 and also have tracked a number of different studies that are re- resiliency studies have been put on for South Florida, for example, to try to predict what we're going to see for a sea level rise over the next 25 to 50 years. And obviously it's pretty, it's, pretty dire so from a selfish standpoint obviously building a floating dock is a much better application to be able to handle those climatic changes that are coming but obviously from a from a a, you know part of the community we all have to look at what the effects are going to be for our infrastructures and, and, and just getting to the coastline and what effect uh, we'll have with the uh, with uh, sea level rise. It's happening. It's going to happen. We've just got to plan for it, and we've got to be able to build to that. But, uh, you know, specifically in the marina side of it, yes, most of our designs these days, we're not only taking into account what we're seeing from a sea level rise, but more importantly, what we're seeing from the effect of the more frequency of storms and the storm surge associated with it. A uh, good example is marinas that we would build on the marinas that we would build on the Gulf Coast will have top of pile elevations of uh, 22 to 30 feet, versus one that would be in the Caribbean where maybe 12 to 14 feet. Once again, you have the effect of landmass, Gulf Coast, accelerating storm surge versus uh, an island out in the Caribbean, which is essentially a small rock in the middle of the ocean that can't really develop a huge surge over it just because the water's got other, obviously it just goes around the, the marine. So it all depends on where we're at, but everything's taken into account, especially with, the, with what we're seeing from the climate change. And especially in the Gulf, because the storms that typically come through the Gulf of Mexico, which is that body of water just on the west side of the of the Florida Peninsula between us and Texas and that Central America area, the water is 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 even warmer than on a natural time, even you know on a regular year. I mean, now we have no, uh, we have we're in a La Nina year. And so it's the water's typically warmer, which does help spur more storm formation. But the Gulf is always warmer. So when those storms hit there, it's just like throwing gasoline on a fire. And the water's fairly shallow compared to the Atlantic. So they just, like as Steve was saying, it's just like running a big giant train up through the Gulf of Mexico. And it's just bringing this wall of water. And like they had in Lake Charles, Louisiana, like they had, you know, a 16 foot storm surge, um, which 16 feet and you talk about going inland, you know, 10 miles, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal with these kinds of storms to pay attention to that. And and then you're saying sea level rise also becomes another part of it. I mean, I, I sit on the Marine Advisory Board here in Fort Lauderdale. And one of those things that as people are looking that to uh, redo their their seawall systems or anything, they're required now to bring them to raise them up to a, a you know a certain level because of sea level rise. Because last we had king tides here, you guys familiar? You guys have you call them king tides in Ireland or in Europe? A high king tides. Tide, we, have, we have high tides. Well, it's a it's a it's a high tide with a full moon. 
And so that typically makes it a higher well, that, tide. That normally means my mother-in-law is visiting. <laughs> She's going to fly in on her broom. Is that it? <laughs> but uh, they, we call them in the, here in the U.S., we'll call it a king tide. So it's, it's, a, it's a higher than usual high tide. And half of Fort Lauderdale was underwater. And you couldn't even drive down Las Olas and in parts of the city because of the fact that the water has gotten so tall and it, it just it comes over the seawalls. So, yeah, it's a big part of what they guys, what these guys are doing at Bellingham to engineer things to protect that. So just on, on big, you know, natural disasters, and it was in my mind because uh, I have um, a number of family members in California where just last week, I think they had quite a tremor. Mm, I mean, a, a sizable a tremor of four and a half, which wow. made me think all of them, it's time to put an emergency plan in so that we can let our family know we're okay. But I mean, we don't hear as much about the West Coast, but certainly there's lots of marinas up the West Coast from you know San Diego all the way up through L.A., I, I presume there, there's also engineering-wise uh, things that you have to consider when in um, areas that are more like, and I mean, presumably Japan and other places in the world also have this issue of considerations you would have to have in places that have earthquake risk. Yeah, and tsunami. Exactly right. So the, tsunami, yeah, yeah. So the, what we develop from a, design standpoint on the west coast and the pacific northwest is while we're not as prone to uh, any kind of hurricane cyclone uh, event seismic is a very big concern and it's taken into account when we're developing the pile systems etc that go with it we recently rebuilt a well oh probably five years ago now recently uh, rebuilt a Marina in the uh, Oregon area that was wiped out by the uh, the tsunami that came across the uh, uh, Pacific um, and developed the systems that will better handle that as far as from the immediate surge of the of the the wave action coming in. Um, but once again, you know we have different climatic uh, design requirements throughout the world. As we do marinas in Alaska, we have seismic as well as, and now we have snow loads we have to deal with as far as with uh, actual amounts of, of frozen material on the top of the docks, uh, how to fix the boats when they're in the slips. Uh, we deal with um, uh, different types of wind events that we would see in, in the Middle East. Um, and, uh, and, and as well as other events, uh, cyclones, et cetera, that are, you know, occur in the South Pacific and in those regions. So Mother Nature has little different little surprises all around different corners of the globe, and we have to develop, we have to design around them. And she is one tough cookie, that Mother Nature. Final <laughs> question of, you know, Mother Nature, but this is more from an environmental side. Look what um, you did to me, eh? <laughs> um, but <laughs> I presume when you're in the, the process of development as well, you there has to be sort of discussions with environmental bodies. Since I, I know here in Europe, we've had a lot of discussions about the... Poseidon grasses. I know in the states, you know, there's there's the and I can't remember the name of them. But the grasses that help the seagrass, the Johnson seagrass, and the things yeah, that, that help you know on and mangroves. So and when you're in the process of design, do you also have to kind of consult with different environmental bodies of how we can build this marina that it can be in keeping with the environment and ecologically sensitive for want of a better expression. Very much so. Very much so. Because if a client comes to me and says, I want to build a marina in this location and it's two feet of water and it's grass or it's corals or it's, it's a, it's not a location that's going to be conducive to building a marina. The good Lord put the dirt there for a reason. And in a lot of cases, when we dig a hole, it's going to get filled right back up. So 
from the uh, site, situation, location, that's very much taken into account as to what we're, we're doing. Obviously, the type of product that we're putting in the water is an all-concrete product. Uh, there are a lot of concrete floating dock systems around the world. These are fantastic systems for the environment because it provides a perfect growth medium for the filter feeders, uh, clams, oysters, barnacles, sponges, other invertebrates that attach themselves to uh, structures like concrete or, or, or uh, and so help provide a cleaning method for the water. So with putting in a marina, being able to uh, provide something that is uh, not only inert, but also helps provide a, a, a habitat creation uh, is very important to us and, and is key to what we do for both our own business development, but our industry development, that we're more sensitive to where facilities go, what's going to happen in the event that you have a petroleum spill or a boat sink or something along those lines. How do we contain that type of, uh, of problem that could be a, 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 you know, a problem to the environment? So it's very important. Can I ask you, Stephen, you, you mentioned it there that a lot of your, your floating marinas are built using concrete, which is a great platform for you know, these sea creatures to, to live in. How do you get the concrete to float? <laughs> That's a really good question. It's right yeah, up there with yeah, how does that giant fashion, but <laughs> When I grew up watching, um, yeah, you know, the black and white Cagney, uh, James Cagney movies, uh, concrete was used for a specific reason, especially as boots, because it couldn't float. Such uh, a story I got for you. <laughs> well, it's a, it's, a, it's a question I get all the time. How does concrete float? And it's essentially, it's a boat. So when we look at a vault, a steel-hulled vessel, for example, uh, how does a steel-hulled vessel float? Basically, the, the hull of the, of the vessel is, uh, provides a, an air pocket that allows the vessel to be able to uh, essentially float. So in other words, the weight of the steel uh, or the concrete the air that's in the center of it essentially displaces the water. Obviously, if you poke a hole in a Titanic, it will sink as that water infills the air that's within the, the center of the unit. On a concrete floating dock, the original floats we made in the 50s were hollow. You'd have to go and pump them out every couple of years uh, because concrete is porous. With the uh, invention of, of the styrene products, uh, most all of the manufacturers in the industry use expanded polystyrene, which is referred to as a closed cell styrene. It's the same material that's used in boat construction, vessel construction, and that foam, the, what the term closed cell means is that if you looked at the a section of the foam under a microscope, you wouldn't see any air spaces around the individual beads. Therefore, it can't collect water. Uh, if you're familiar with an old styrofoam cup that you put a Coca-Cola or carbonated drink in and you let it sit for a few days, all of a sudden you'll see it start weeping on the sides. That's because it's not a closed cell type of a foam. So all that foam does is it doesn't really provide flotation for the concrete module. It just displaces any water that could get in there. So like the old ad you see for uh, Boston Whalers where they cut a uh, boat in half and it still operates, still the same principle. We're displacing uh, the water that could get into that air pocket for the heavier object that's sitting in the water. I'm glad I'm not the first sense. one to have asked you that question. I don't feel so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we're happy to have Steve and those guys in Bellingham helping to get the, our Gulf Coast back up and running as quickly as possible, as well as increasing our ability to host more super yachts and, and boats here in the United States, because I know that there's often a lack of 
of dockage and it's been that way here for a while so we're we're thankful to have uh companies such as bellingham um be so supportive of the industry and and get involved and to and to really help uh keep us rolling um in the united states and around the world but uh but i, I have a couple of updates if i may um one that uh, other than the fact that we've now have a president that has covid but I understand doing, doing quite well. With our neighbors to the east um, in the Bahamas, there's been some questions about travel in and out of the Bahamas. It's been kind of a moving target. As of today, um, they are, so the 15th is still set for the reopening um, of the tourism sector of October. Until, but until the 31st of October, anybody that's visiting the Bahamas must, as they're calling it, vacation in place, you know, like quarantine in place for 14 days um, or for the duration of their stay if it's shorter, uh, which means that they have to limit their vacation to the area that they're, that they're going to. They can't venture out of the marina or their hotel or wherever else. But beginning on the 1st of November, they're going to remove that mandatory vacation in place restriction. Um, but you must obtain a RT-PCR swab test seven days prior to travel, then five days in or four days, like 96 hours after arrival, conduct another such of these tests. And then again, once again, so... So that they're really working hard. I mean, the Bahamas are, as you saw when we had Joe um, on the show a few, a month or so ago, they are really working hard to try and make it so people can come. But I just wanted to let people know, and there's a whole thing, I'll make sure we put it up on the U.S. Super Yacht Association website under our news section so that, um, that people can become aware of it. Also in big news, Safe Harbor Marinas, was recently acquired uh, by a, a company there. The, they were the largest, um, and our chairman, Kate Pearson, uh, is, uh, works with them and under their acquisitions department. Um, they are, they're creating a, essentially a merger with Sun Communities. Um, it's a real estate investment trust or a REIT. So that, you know, they're already, um, they're already, um, in the process of making that. So it is going to be a massive sale. It's $2.1 billion wow. with the B. Where would people know their marinas? Oh, they're all over from, uh, they, they've, they've been working for the last six years on acquiring uh, marinas and shipyards from all over the country from, I mean, like the Newport shipyard was one of their most recent, recent acquisitions they had bought, purchased the Brewer uh, portfolio of marinas and shipyards that kind of spanned the East Coast. Um, they own a, a, a pile of marinas in California and in the, in the Seattle area. They own several here in Florida. Um, but they are the largest marina and owning company in the country. They own essentially 44,000 plus slips. Um, and a lot of lakes wow. in the middle of the country as well. So that's kind of interesting news for for the for the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and also, it does seem that the the Fort Lauderdale International Boat Show is a go. And you know, we've uh, they've invested a tremendous amount of resources to make it a safe and responsible show. If you go, you must mask throughout your experience at the show. So that is going to be a different part of it. Um, the, our mayor here in Broward County and our governor in the state of Florida have recently released the, you know, this state to a level three. So there are, it's loosening things up here a little bit because our positivity rate here in Broward dropped below 5% for several weeks. And then um, U.S. Super Yacht Association will be hosting our annual meeting on Friday, October 30th, um, whether or not the show happens, because if for some reason the state says no go and they have to cancel, which I really don't anticipate when you see all of the protocols they've put in place 
I, I don't see that happening. I do see it going forward at this point. But we will be doing our lunch regardless. Um, so if you wanted to come in person, it'll be a, a lunch, a very socially distanced, uh, COVID-friendly. We're taking temperatures, doing the whole spiel. Uh, lunch in person or virtual. So um, that would be it's going to be a great event. It's going to, we're going to have guests from all over the world participating and uh, it'll be a kind of a, not kind of, it will be an update on really what's happening and how 2020 has exponentially changed how we view the world of super yachts, the, the world of, of mm. boating and um, social distancing because there's no better way to do it than on a yacht. So it's, it's going to be a great event, and that's all on ussuperyacht.com. For those that want to say who won't be in Florida, um, they want to tune in via Zoom, I presume, there's going to be a portion that will be seminars or webinars, so to speak, of people talking who you would get yes. to see if you're at the lunch, but for those not You'll at see the lunch. It. It's going to be the exact same experience. So whether you're Except there in food. person... Um, except for the food. So you can, you can tune in from Ireland and watch the show. It starts at noon um, here at Eastern, Eastern Daylight Time right now, but it'll be noon, whatever time that is. There's a, a move to not do daylight savings, not to change back. Fall back or something. Like God, they've been talking yeah, about fall back. And be really like, nice because it's very confusing when you're dealing it, with different time zones. And it is. It's very confusing. Daylight savings at different times. <laughs> I know, and some states don't do it, but but uh, but it's going to be a great event, and I really encourage everybody to to register. You can register and or sponsor because it's gonna we're gonna we're in the process right now of doing a massive social campaign um, to work together with all of our partners for that are going to be participating as sponsors. Um, I know Steve Ryder and Bellingham Marine are one of our our sponsors for the event. Thank you very much, Steve. He's, they're just great supporters of ours in general. Um, and we're excited to actually have an event this year because yeah. we haven't had any. So, <laughs> so well, it's a great opportunity. Super Yacht Pavilion, you. you know, the U.S. Super Yacht Pavilion uh, was, the, was always the main kind reason. of the main one reason. of the I big know. central was, points at Flibs for yep. many, many it people was, went there. Uh, it was. It was a great business and, and was a great place to end up with at the end of each day at the show. I know. Well, so sadly, unfortunately, we hit the top of the hour. We are, I know. But, but come we've see got to us extend show. our show. Yes. Steve, I can't thank you enough. It was a real education. It was lovely to meet you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for being with us here. Yep. You're Thanks, very Steve. welcome. I look forward to opening that office in Ireland very soon. I, I look forward to being there at the opening. And I will. I think you're a man of your word. You have that look <laughs> about you. We will hold you to that. We. You, you just might need it slightly smaller because we have loads of sailing going on in Ireland, but not so many super yachts. <laughs> oh. Not yet. Not yet. Operate from our studios. Thank you, Steve. We really appreciate you taking the time today and supporting us as well. And in, enjoy your time in Steenhatchie, Florida. <laughs> and, indeed, on the West Thank Coast. Thank you very Florida, much, everybody. Let's today, go Thank you so much, my dear. As uh, as always, great to have you. And Steve, have a great weekend, both of you. Thanks so much, guys. This has been Update USSA Thank with you. the wonderful Kitty McGowan and guests who was Steve Ryder today. Thanks for being with us. This is Super Yacht Radio. Super Yacht Radio.